as a, a teenager, I was always one of those kids that was kind of curious about farm life. I mean, farm life seemed beautiful, simple, fulfilling. My junior year in high school, a friend and I took a photo trip to several farms not too far from the St. Louis area. The photo work was for a school paper I, w- I had to write, and my paper, the goal of my paper was to point out the advantages of rural living over city life. And I really enjoyed taking pictures of barns and fields and farmhouses. In that project, it kind of heightened the desire in me to live on a farm someday. The fact is, it's a dream I never followed. Fenton is as close to farm life as I've gotten. And I will say, when my wife Mary and I moved to Fenton over 30 years ago, Highway 141 was two lanes. Just behind the street where our house was, was an open field of about 40 acres. There were a lot of deer, there were raccoons, a few turkey, and even some coyotes. And that's about as close to the farm as I got. That field now is all filled with houses. Now God did give me, though, a a taste of real farm life years ago when I worked for a large agricultural company. My team's territory was Iowa. And I will tell you, Iowa is like heaven. There's an Iowa person here this morning. Awesome. If you ever saw the movie A Field of Dreams, there's that little part in there where the, the one person says, one of the ball players says, is this heaven? And Costner answers, no, this is Iowa. And he said, funny, I thought it was heaven. Well, Iowa is beautiful. And there, there's something special about the gentle hills that it has that are covered with corn and soybeans. And at time, times driving around that state really did feel like heaven on earth. And a bonus of working for an agricultural company was me, a city boy, got to talk to real farmers. Farm life does seem to be a more simple life. Most farmers I met would tell you what they thought. The farmers I met were mostly honest and truthful and kind. And in general, I found that faith was much more important to them than it was to a lot of city folks. During those trips, so I also realized a couple other things about farm life. First thing I realized is farming is really hard work. When it's planting or harvest time, the days are long and the weeks are longer. And I remembered thinking back then, you know, it's a lot, not lot, it is a lot nicer to visit a farm than it probably is to work on one. And I also realized that the clean, fresh air of Iowa isn't always so clean and fresh. During one December trip, I landed in Des Moines, and the air in Des Moines stunk. I mean, it literally reeked. And I learned it was the time of year when the farmers were spreading manure on their fields. And the smell covered the city, even though there were no farms within the city. And that smell of manure wasn't confined to manure-spreading season. You could be traveling down a country road when the air would suddenly be drenched with a terrible odor. And often the smell was accompanied by seeing several long, low buildings with huge fans on each end. I later learned that those buildings were modern-day pig pens. They looked nice on the outside, but the odor coming from them was anything but nice. And 
recalling those memories kind of got me thinking. And if you know me, that is a little scary in itself because you never know where my mind is going to take us. But here's my thought. As Christians, our future home is like a beautiful Iowa cornfield. Not everybody's smiling, I can tell behind your mask. Maybe you're not in the cornfields. Maybe you can imagine heaven as a pristine beach or a majestic mountain range or a quiet forest or even a sparkling city. You can pick your image of heaven because I'm not sure exactly what heaven's going to be like, but I do know this, that Christians are already members of God's kingdom, his heavenly kingdom. When Jesus came to earth, he brought the kingdom of God to earth. And so we're already living in the kingdom. But the kingdom of heaven on earth today is not yet what it's going to be. And I think we'd all agree with that not yet part. Compared to heaven, earth today is more like an old-fashioned pig pen. Talking about the pig pen that would be filled with mud and pigs and slop. Now that's not to say that there isn't any beauty on earth. There is so much beauty around us, and it's beautiful because God created it. And we should enjoy God's beautiful creation as we praise the Him. And yet we all know there are natural disasters. There are diseases that we're very familiar with this year that kill. People created in the image of God do horrible things. The image of God in us has been tarnished by sin. The power of sin has caused many in the many people to hold an allegiance to the worldly kingdom instead of the kingdom. And here's the tough part. We're all stuck today in the world's pig pen. Now we can make the pig pen a better place to live, and we should. But unfortunately, no matter how hard we try, there's still going to be some pig stuff on the ground. And we're bound to step in it every now and then. Now that doesn't mean that we've got to roll around in it. We don't have to let the garbage defile us. We don't have to be products of the worldly kingdom. Instead, we're called to live as members of God's heavenly kingdom. And so, we have a choice. Do we live like members of God's heavenly kingdom or do we choose the worldly kingdom and live like pigs in a pig pen? Let us pray. Father, you created us. You love us and you walk with us each day of our lives. We owe everything to you. You call us your children and have promised us a better country, a heavenly kingdom. We're already members of your kingdom, but we live in a fallen world. Things are not yet as they will be. And we often live like people of the world instead of living like your children. And so this morning we ask you to teach us concerning truth. Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, is the truth. Help us to live in the truth of Christ. Amen. Just a few minutes ago, we read from John chapter 18 as we're going through John's gospel. And where we were reading there, Jesus is headed to the cross. In our passage, he was being questioned by Pontius Pilate. 
If you look at John's Gospels and the other Gospels, you realize that Jesus has already been betrayed by Judas. He's been arrested. He's been denied by Peter. Jesus was taken to Annas, a former high priest of the Jewish people. Annas turned Jesus over to Caiaphas, the acting high priest. False witnesses testified against Jesus, but a charge could not be established. Caiaphas then asked Jesus if he was the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said that he was. And that statement, according to Jewish leaders, meant that Jesus had committed blasphemy, a a crime punishable by death. Caiaphas sent Jesus to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Initially, Pilate found no reason to deal with Jesus. He tried to get the Jewish leaders to handle their own problem. They said they couldn't judge Jesus because they weren't allowed to lawfully put anyone to death. And so Pilate questioned Jesus again. And their exchange revealed a clash of two different kingdoms. The kingdom of this world and God's kingdom. And Pilate's final question to Jesus was, A very significant one. He said, what is truth? What is truth? The worldly kingdom's definition of truth is starkly different than the absolute truth of God's kingdom. Pilate represented the darkness of the worldly kingdom, and Jesus is the light of the kingdom of God. Richard Phillips, a commentator, describes the worldly kingdom as one of pragmatic, pragmatism, and relativism. Now I have to confess, I actually didn't know the definition of pragmatism, so I looked it up. And it's a big word, and it's got a simple meaning. Pragmatism is the idea that whatever works is how we should do things. Another way you could say it is, whatever works is true. Relativism is the thought that there is no absolute truth. It claims what is true for you may not be true for me. Pilate was a poster boy of the worldly view of truth. He was a lifelong resident of the worldly kingdom. Now, give you a little background on Pilate. His, his rule as Roman governor occurred from A.D. 26 to 36. He enforced Roman law. Pilate collected taxes and, clo- and controlled the finances of the region. He was ruthlessly efficient and morally weak. Pilate wanted what was best for Pilate. Pilate used temple funds to extend the water-supplying aqueduct. Now, if you think about it, extending the aqueduct was a good thing. But Pilate took funds from the temple to do it. It was a misappropriation of funds. He killed Galileans in the temple courtyard. His use of excessive force eventually caused his removal from office. The Jewish historian Eusebius reported that Pilate committed suicide during the reign of Caligula. Pontius Pilate demonstrated the worldly kingdom practice of pragmatism. He lived by the belief that whatever works is true. Truth according to Pilate, was also relative. See, Pilate didn't care if truth was served in how he treated Jesus, this man before him. All he cared about was keeping the peace and saving face. Truth for the Jewish leaders was whatever it took to get rid of Jesus. 
Truth for them was self-serving. Truth had nothing to do with justice. Now, today's worldly kingdom doesn't just rely on pragmatism and relativism. Recently, there's been a rise of a third ism. It also had its place in the worldly kingdom of Pilate. Now, I call this third ism cancelism. You're probably already familiar with the term cancel culture. It's getting used a lot these days. And the idea of cancelism is a bit different from relativism. Relativism allows for multiple truths. Cancelism, at its worst, doesn't care about any truth except its own. It can take away freedom. It seeks to control what a person believes and says. And if you don't obey the rules, you're canceled. Now, I do admit that cancelism has the goal of removing what is offensive. And on the surface, that's very noble. But as I think about it, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ can be very offensive to those who reject God. And so the question is, do we cancel God? That's what the Jewish leaders and Pilate tried to do with Jesus. Cancel Jesus. Silence him. Killing Jesus was the answer. Now, in our worldly kingdom we, today, we do see pragmatism. We see the idea that whatever works is true. We see relativism. What is true for you may not be true for me. And we see a growing culture of cancelism. You must accept the truth of those in power or be canceled. And such worldview leads to a very self-centered approach to life. Truth can be disregarded. We live for the approval of people. And that's not God's way to live. It's not God's way to live. The way of truth can be more difficult. The way of truth can lead to a lot more opposition. The way of truth can often take much longer to see results. But I think you know this, it's, it's worth it. And yet, we often give in to the world. Rather than stand on the truth in love and grace, our silence can suggest that we believe that everyone is entitled to their own version of the truth. We rationalize our own attempts to make truth fit the way that we want to live. We've learned how to be politically correct. We can walk on eggshells around people so that we don't offend them. You could say we accept being pigs living in the pig pen. And it it doesn't make sense. Children of the king should live like children of the king. Jesus is the heart of the kingdom of God. As Jesus clashed with Pilate and the Jewish leaders, God's kingdom was clashing with the worldly kingdom. Pilate asked Jesus, he said, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priest has delivered you over to me, so what have you done? And Jesus answered, he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus was saying that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. But that is not to say that it doesn't matter in our physical world. It's actually quite the opposite. The kingdom of God rules over our soul. The kingdom of God rules over our lives. It rules over all of creation. God's kingdom is absolute. It has all authority and power. And it should govern how you and I live. Pilate then followed 
with another question to Jesus. He said, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, he said, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus is a king. In fact, Jesus is the king. He is ruler over heaven and earth. He demands our ultimate allegiance. Jesus embodies the truth. In a very familiar passage in John 14, 6, Jesus declared, I am the way and the truth and the life. In the very first words of John's gospel, read, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When Pilate asked, what is truth? The truth was standing right in front of him. Jesus didn't just speak the truth. As Jesus proclaimed, he is the truth. If you want to know what is true, just open your Bible and look at Jesus. The kingdom of the world can be blind to the truth. You could say it wouldn't know the truth even if it hit it in the face. People who live by the world's kingdom rules are our mission field. They are the ones who desperately need to hear about Jesus. They are our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, our family. And, and we might say, you know what, they're living like pigs in the pig pen. But that doesn't have to be their future. We're called to share the truth of God's kingdom with them. We have rolled around in a pig pen ourselves, and we still take an occasional role. And so the fact of the matter is we can identify them. We are just like them. Jesus can redeem the most messed up person. No lost causes with Christ. You know, last Sunday we talked about Peter's fall as he denied Jesus three times. Peter also experienced the clash of the kingdoms. He denied the truth. He denied it out of fear. He took the easy way out. And that's, and Peter's story, though, is an inspiration to you and to me because he did fail and he did recover and he was restored by Christ. It's a story of inspiration to anyone who has never accepted the truth. And that's because Peter's failure wasn't the end of the story. Jesus did restore him. Peter became a leader in the early church. He lived the kingdom God life. Peter reminds us that if you and I have bought into the kingdom of the world, it doesn't have to be the end. We don't have to continue living that way. We too can be restored. And Peter wrote about you and he wrote about me in his first letters. He spoke to our identity as members of the kingdom of God. Peter indicated what kingdom living looks like. Listen to Peter's Holy Spirit-inspired words of truth. He said, but you are a chosen race. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We've been chosen by God. 
We've been called out of the darkness that is the kingdom of this world into the marvelous light of God's kingdom. Peter also wrote this. He said, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And what he's saying there is living as kingdom members isn't something that's passive. We are called to a life of action. We are called to live morally. We're filled with hope. We're set apart. We're set apart to do the work of God. In 1 Peter 2, 16 and 17, we read, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. We're free from sin's punishment. We're no longer slaves to sin. In fact, we're slaves to God. We still sin, but sin doesn't define you and it doesn't define me. Peter was saying we are to be respectful of others. And that includes the people that we disagree with. We're to love one another. And we're especially to love our fellow Christians. We demonstrate our fear of God through reverence and worshiping him. And Peter said we honor the emperor. Well, to honor the emperor means we respect those in authority. And then finally, in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25, he wrote this. He said, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. When Jesus was in front of Pilate, he didn't lash out. He did share the truth with Pilate. Jesus went to the cross voluntarily. He won the victory over sin and death and the devil. Jesus is the truth. His kingdom will never end. One day his kingdom will be fully present here on earth. And you and I have been saved through the blood of Christ. And so that means that we are to live as children of the king. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that there is a kingdom and you are the, and your son is the king and that we're already members of that kingdom. We already experience the joy that comes from knowing we're forgiven. The Holy Spirit lives inside us to guide us, to convict us, to teach us. And yet, we look around our world and there's so much pain, there's so much suffering. We look at our own lives and we realize that we cause suffering, we cause pain. 
But we know that one day your kingdom will be fully here on earth. Everything will be perfect. There will be no more mourning or crying or tears or pain or suffering or death. Everything will be made new. That is the kingdom we long for. That is the kingdom in our hearts today. That is the kingdom that we are called to help move forward even as we live in this earth. We thank you. We praise your name. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.